What's going on, designers and decorators? It's Timothy. Hey, and this is Hannah from Hannah Boyer and Company. How are you, Timothy? I'm doing fabulous today, aside from our little yeah. tiff we had earlier, but that's okay. I won't get into it. Not here. not between you, not between you and me. Let's make that clear. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think we could have a tiff. <laughs> our our tiff is what's the next business that we should run <laughs> yes yes for sure so we have a interesting conversation that that i yeah. i've never really like i've never dove into but let's talk about that what, what, what are we talking about today <laughs> we are talking about recession proofing your interior design business uh you know we have this we're coming off of COVID-19 and all of these back orders and crazy wait times. Mm. Now we are talking about recession proofing your business and how we can be smart about the steps that we take to get through what people think is the next recession. Like the I, first I the coming soon part. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, like I'm not even... We like we all know it's coming. It's just a matter of when, not if, when at exactly. This point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not a financial expert, so I don't know. I'm just, you know, taking what we're being told and saying, okay, how can we be smart and move forward? So I have five steps that, or five tips rather, to discuss and kind of just be aware of. And so the first one would be get flexible. You know. As we are dealing with the back orders and the long wait times for product, we've got to figure out how to continue to bring in money, right? And if we're dealing with that and we're dealing with clients who, I say we, I mean designers, not myself. Uh, if your clients are not willing to spend a ton of money, then you've got to figure out how to pivot and find another way to bring in money that feels reachable to them, right? And so I don't know what your thoughts are, Timothy, but I feel like bringing in some sort of e-design aspect to your business creates accessibility while also bringing it to a price point that might feel more attainable for their clients. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. One or uh, reasons. There's it's one of those days. I'm telling you, there's a lot of uh, ways to. But my one of my mentors, he told me he's like this super rich guy, but he's like Tim. When recession hits, or not even just when a recession hits, it's just in general. Uh, he's a firm believer that everyone should have seven sources of income, uh, seven mm -hmm. to eight. And mm -hmm. even just like now, I think every designer should be somewhere along the lines looking at. Uh, different streams of income to bring in. So that way, if there is a recession, like there's about to be, you know, if two of those income streams are completely just shot from the recession, you have five additional income streams to fall back on. And then you could rebuild the other two versus if you just have one, uh, right. whereas it's just interior design work, and the recession hits really hard in our industry, which I'm pretty sure it would, then there's that one business that you no longer have, and you have to then do a career change completely. And the fortunate thing too is about interior design is there's so many different sectors that there are. I've honestly lost count at this point. There are so many. Right. But I'm I I you hit it on the head where where I think designers should have additional income streams and not just like completely change, still have your traditional interior design, 
you know, ways of doing things, but also add on maybe e-design, maybe add on, you know, drafting services uh, mm-hmm. for other designers or just regular homeowners. Maybe the homeowner is looking for a drafter to then cut the time on the architect side. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what architect would actually do that would take on, you know, image or drawings from another person, but at least it's a start, you know, and some clients right. would be able to get a lot of work done even with that. Well, and so you you touched on the architects and that's another really key part of recession proofing your business is having those partnerships. Mm-hmm. So we were doing a little bit of uh, brainstorming for what those par- partnerships could look like. And I think some of them could be local builders, home stagers that you can work with. Uh, showrooms that maybe have, you know, your business card, there's the local architects, and then uh, artisans that, you know, you might be buying from in order to furnish part of your design project, but then they can also be a referral source as well. And so trying to think outside of the box in terms of Mm. who can I get connected with and who can expand and, you know, the pool from what I'm currently drawing from, I think is a huge, huge part of recession proofing your business. And I also think too, which this is, okay, this is going to sound really crazy. And I don't mean to be a, or to sound really cold hearted <laughs> about what I'm about <laughs> to say, All right. but, but uh, creating income streams or pivoting the business to someone else's loss. And what I mean by that is recession, Mm. usually what happens is people can no longer afford their homes, they're moving out, which means that the real estate industry starts becoming a buyer's market. And with that, being an interior designer is a perfect leeway to then getting into the staging side of of interior design um, and utilizing all of those houses that are going to start coming up on the market because they're being foreclosed on and people really going crazy with with actually buying houses because they're so cheap and interest rates are really really cheap but then you know utilizing the situation recession as a means for you to make sure that you are becoming recession proof i know it's like sounds crazy to say well one person's loss is another person's gain and essentially is what i'm saying but it's one of those things where you know, you really have to think outside the box about, you know, how can I take this position I'm in or the position that the United States is in or other countries of the matter um, and, you know, utilize that to my benefit. And also yeah. a situation too could be you maybe looking at other countries to do work in and opening up, you know, like e-design, for example, in a different country um, like Australia or New Zealand or places where there aren't a recession at the moment. So um, I right. think there's a lot of different opportunity to get those extra income streams in your pocket while you can. Yeah. And I think that, you know, us all going through COVID-19 kind of Mm -hmm. uh, began to stretch those muscles a little bit. Right. And like, we, we kind of had to work around all of those uh, changes that happened really quickly and we weren't anticipating. And I think a lot of designers pivoted during that time too. Right. And they're like, well, if we can't go in our, in our clients' homes and we've got to figure out another solution. Uh, So I would wager that a lot of designers are already, you know, mastering (laughs) that, uh, those additional sources of income. Yeah. And I, I mean, believe it or not, I I've talked to a lot of designers during the very, I wouldn't say the very start of it, but when it was peaking um, and there are a vast majority of designers who really kind of just sat there um, trying to figure out ways to 
you know, recoup from, from COVID. I know a few of them that had closed their design firm completely because of it. Um, and one of the things I can say that was a common denominator in all of those designers that I know that, that did close their firms during COVID was that they never pivoted to figuring out how they can get projects during COVID because people weren't allowing strangers in their house. Right. Uh, and really that, that pivot was e-design. It's kind of a similar yeah. situation where um, you have to figure out how you can do your, your shit remotely, excuse my French, but do your stuff remotely um, yeah. and reach the masses and reach other people that like in different States. And I think e-design was really a turning point in this industry because of that factor. So what do you think are some other ways you can recession proof? I would say creating expectations for your clients and then also in the same vein, exceeding them. So <laughs> contradictory. <first, right? laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so when I talk about setting expectations, I think a prime example of that is having documents such as a welcome guide and an investment guide that really expounds on your process and how you do things and sets your client's expectations correctly from the get-go. So they're not saying, mm -hmm. but I thought you said this. You say, no, this is how we do it here. And, you know, we're not deviating. This is, this is how we run the show. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's, there's that aspect, right? But then there's also taking it to the next level where you are, you're providing a luxury service and it is costly and you want to make them feel like they are one in a million. So when you have a really solid client experience where you are connecting with them intentionally, with your being um, consistent in your conversations with them, so they don't feel like they're being, you know, left high and dry for weeks on end while you're figuring out your design, right? You're, you're touching base with them. Those touch points along the way really solidifies in their mind that you have your shit together and that you are a high-end firm. And I feel that when you are doing that, you're creating a foundation for, for future clients, right? Because they're going to come back and say, yeah, it was a lot of money, but it was so worth it. They took care of me the entire way. And so more like you're setting yourself up for great referrals down the line, which is, is in, in short recession proofing your business. Yeah. I can, I can talk like, or maybe even like write a whole entire novel about the situations I've gotten into in my career as a designer where I didn't set the right expectations. And I think it really stemmed from being fearful that the client is going to take it correctly. And also fearful that I'm going to deliver it in the in the way that my client needed to hear it, that it wasn't sounding like an excuse to some sort. And I mm -hmm. feel like with the whole COVID thing, I think that really took everyone for a storm because we I don't think we ever expected that a year later, we'd still be waiting for stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and for some, even even longer than a year. But I think it's really, really important to set those expectations in the very, very beginning, because if you don't, then it leaves a lot of things up for interpretation. And even those expectations can be left up for interpretation too, depending on how they're pitched to your client. But um, I think that's yeah. also why it's really important to 
to set those expectations as soon as possible. Um, because when things do come up like that, then you can be like, Hey, you know, I did set the expectation. It's going to be about a year before your stuff came. So it's, right. I, I think that's a critical component too, of, of making sure that you stay safe um, and then not form lawsuits during the recession, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. No, it absolutely would be. It would not be good. <laughs> no. Yeah. So then the next point that we have written down is automating and delegating, mm -hmm. uh, which I feel like might seem a little counterintuitive because you're paying for a program or you're paying for a person um, to do some of the tasks that you're delegating. But we, I dove into some research regarding businesses that had weathered the last recession in 2008. Um, and the ones that continued to invest in themselves were able to get through the recession successfully. Um, mm. And so part of that is if you are automating and you are giving tasks to other people, you are creating space and time for yourself to prioritize, to strategize, to figure out other means of revenue generating things and kind of let your business run by itself in a way so that you can have your zone of genius be directed towards making it right. Mm -hmm. And so you're not, you're not stuck in the everyday tasks. And so some of the technology that we recommend, my company recommends to designers to achieve that would be things like uh, Zapier. That's a third party system that talks from one program to another. And so it is, it saves you a lot of the clicking and a lot of the uh, going into various programs because it's doing it for you. So there's that. There's Endema, of course, uh, to help keep track of all of the design project aspect of it. There's Dubsado to automate your client experience. And then, of course, you have a VDA or a VA who can come in and do a lot of the other work uh, so that you can focus on the business itself. Yeah. And also tie in on that whole part of it too. I think that the the systems should already be in place, to be honest with you, before a recession hits. But oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if for whatever reason, if you don't have like the systems automated, then I think to get jumping on that now, the earlier you get on that, then when the recession does hit, you don't really have too much to worry about. You'll probably have to tweak some things here and there. But you know, automation in regards to, you know, like some client communications or you know, automating a lot of the um, processes even of, of leads coming in, you're not having to put them inside Indema or you're not having to put them inside, you know, an Excel spreadsheet as an example, stuff all like, yeah. all like that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, like Hannah said, even hiring a, a, a virtual design assistant as well, it can be really one of the issues, not really issues, but one of the ways that you, they make this recession out alive, I guess. <laughs> right. And then the final point is, cutting costs. You know, I, I have a questionnaire that goes out and I ask the designers, what programs are you using? And I'm not joking. There's at least five. Almost every designer has at least five that they're using, if not more. And there's multiple crossovers in their 
programs. Um, some people are using Dropbox and Google Drive. One of the best things that you can do is figure out how to cut your costs. Um, another example would be Photoshop and Canva. Canva is a way more affordable program. And I would bet that Photoshop is being used less and less for the purposes that designers are using it for, which would be uh, mood boards primarily. And you can do that so easily in Canva for a fraction of the cost. So, you know, taking a look at where you're duplicating those programs and, you know, for example, even Calendly and Dubsado, you don't need to be paying for both of them. You can be using just Dubsado to manage more than one thing and you can nix the cost of Calendly. Uh, so yeah, I, I've even done that, you know, through the period of going through COVID, trying to figure out, you know, where are we spending more money than we need to be? And what could I be doing myself, which I know is totally <laughs> uh, counterintuitive to what we had just said previously, which is, you know, outsource. But uh, <laughs> there are things that you can you can do your own that will will save costs. Yeah, I'm about to experience that myself with the whole email marketing. <laughs> I'm dreading it. Right, like I could pay someone or I can just suffer through yeah. a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of those things too. And I, I, we have a episode coming up, um, probably not the next one or the next one, but the next one after that. <laughs> so in three, <laughs> three episodes from now, maybe, uh, we're talking about, you know, choosing the best platform for you. And I think that's a whole loaded, like at least going to be an hour conversation even. But when it comes to like the automation part, you know, stuff like that, I think it is really critical to consolidate as much as you want or as much as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also to tie in with that and this will kind of be an interesting you know uh loop into the episode that we talk about how to choose the platform but the interesting thing is that it goes way way deeper than just you know oh i'm using this one for email automation and that one for vision boards you really should dive deeper into what about vision boards do you need and kind of mm -hmm. subcategorize you know, your systems into figuring out exactly what you need it for and what system can check off most of those boxes. Um, and that that would yeah. really help you to, too during the recession as well, because that's, you know, not having five, six, seven different platforms, then you're, you're kind of narrowing it down to maybe two or three, depending on what you need them for. And a lot of those platforms too do a lot of similar things like, you know, uh, Calendly and Dubsado is a perfect example why pay for you know, $15 a month for Calendly minimally, um, which right. is 140, I think a year or something like that. And then plus whatever Dubsado is when Dubsado can just have everything in there. So uh, being really, really smart about those systems can really take you a long way as well. Yeah, for sure. And I was also thinking, you know, Endema has the whole social media portion. And how cool is that, that you could just completely nix a social media planning platform and use Endema for that rolled into yeah. creating your vision boards and and helping manage your project. Like there's a lot of birds that you can kill with that. Yeah. And it, that's what I mean earlier too, about kind of going deeper into what's necessary, because even though, yeah, we do have a social media management component of, of Endema that, that does take on, you know, Buffer and Hootsuite and um, stuff like that. 
Um, mm -hmm. And then looking at our email automation as a perfect example, um, our email automation doesn't tie to like a contract, whereas Dubsado's email automation does, where you can create like more of a custom contract in Dubsado that directly ties to like an email thread when your client opens that contract or views it. Or, and while in Demo, we'll get there eventually. Um, you know, it's really important to look at your existing process and understand every single component of it and choose mm -hmm. the platforms that work with each other or um, that work for that specific process as well. Um, and that's going to make you the most successful, especially during a recession. Learned a lot today, Hannah. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, now I feel more comfortable about the recession that's about to hit. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, we are not, you know, experts in this at all. Uh, but it's just some things that we've come up with ourselves to try to tackle the next big thing in our industry. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of us, aside from the older designers, but a lot of us um, newer designers weren't here in 2008. So for mm -hmm. the more seasoned designers that are listening in, um, you know, feel free to ping us on email. I'll put the email in the description and share some of your stories about how you recession proofed and maybe we'll create a blog post about it or something like that. Um, yeah. or update. I think on your website, there's an, there's a blog post about this. Um, yes. But yeah, if we get this, anyone that wants to share their story, we'll absolutely post it on our blogs about it. Um, and uh, we'll also think of some resource, maybe, resources maybe um, that can help you too. But we really appreciate you sharing um, your insights on how to recession-proof. Thanks, Timothy. It's my pleasure. And we'll see you all in the next episode. It's been a pleasure. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone.